I started working on a sermon for what I thought was tonight, uh, Sunday night after church. And uh, I said, Lord, this seems awful like a Sunday. This seems an awful lot like a Sunday morning sermon to me. And uh, so I just went on and did what the Lord, I thought, was showing me and went on and prepared it. And I said, this sure does seem like a Sunday morning sermon to me. (laughs) Yesterday I said, it sure does seem like a Sunday morning sermon to me. And this morning I woke up and I said, Lord, this looks just like a Sunday morning sermon to me. And I got to read in my Bible and I came to Lamentation chapter 1. And the Lord said, now here's your sermon for tonight. You can use that other one for Sunday morning. <laughs> and uh, But that's, uh, that's the way things happen. So once again, I got a sermon that I haven't really, uh, you know, spent a whole lot of time on. But but uh, we'll see what we can do with it tonight and, and see what the Lord will do for us. And if He'll show up and get involved in it, we'll be just fine. So Lamentation chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 3. And uh, Lamentation, is the, it's, uh, it probably says it in your Bible, but some Bibles it don't say. But in most Bibles it says the Lamentation of Jeremiah. All Bibles don't say that, but uh, the, the same prophet that wrote the book of Jeremiah, he also wrote these Lamentations about the children of Israel as they went into captivity. Uh, but so that's just for your knowledge. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How was she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations? A great nation become just a solitary nation and a feeble nation in just a short time, if the Lord decides that's the way it ought to be. It says, and princess, uh, and princess among the provinces, how has she become tributary? Uh, she weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. I want to treat, uh, preach a message tonight called Between the Straits. I want to talk to you about being between the straits. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy tonight. God, I do thank you for your goodness. I think about all the things that I heard last night, God. And and Lord, I think about the testimonies I've heard tonight about people being thankful for the church and thankful for the situation that they're in. God, I do thank you for your goodness. I do thank you for your mercy, God. We could be in a far worse state than we are. God, we deserve to be in a far worse state than we are. And it's by your mercies that we're not consumed. And I thank you, dear God, for your great grace in my life. God, a lot of people, dear God, have become complacent, dear God, and they don't care about the church. And, Lord, the things of God have grown cold to them, dear God, and their hearts have grown cold. And, and Lord, we see that evident, dear God. It was not very long ago this church was full on Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning, dear God. And, Lord, I'm satisfied if you'll be here. But, Lord, there are folks, dear God, that I wish their hearts were still on fire for the Lord. I wish they still felt something for you. I wish, dear God, that the things of the Word of God meant something to them, dear God. And Lord, I don't look down on them. I don't judge them, dear God, as to be heathen or anything like that. I just know that they need the power of God to move in their life once again. I pray you'd help them. I pray, dear God, you'd do a work, dear God, that only you can do. And God, I pray you'd help us, dear God, to to hear from you tonight, God. Help us, dear God, to realize something, dear God, that we may have never thought about before. 
And God, if you'll make it real to us, then I know it'll be all right. And I pray, Heavenly Father, you deal with our hearts now according to your will. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now look back in verse number uh, verse number uh, 3 again. It says, Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction. And because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All of her, all her persecutors overtook her between the straits. First off, first off, I want to tell you uh, something that I thought of today, and I read that Jeremiah. And as you come through, you read Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, and then Lamentation, and then Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And I've come through that avenue many times. You know, you drove the road you live on; you drive it every day. And if you look around once in a while, you'll notice something different. And uh, you'll notice a house sitting back in the woods you've never seen before. You notice a red mailbox, and you never noticed that before. You notice one fella down the street has a horse you never knew that before. He's got a Labrador. You just if you pay attention instead of just well, you better keep your eyes on the road. But you know what I mean, right? If you look around a little bit, you'll realize some things. You'll notice some things you never noticed before. Well, this time I was coming through, and I finished Jeremiah and started lamentation, and the thought occurred to me. Listen, these prophets, you know, these prophets showed up to Israel and they never failed to make the children of Israel mad when they showed up. <laughs> the prophet would come in, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, Elisha, no matter what the case was, these prophets would come in, they'd prophesy what thus saith the Lord and the folks would get mad. Folks would get upset because uh, just like I tell you all the time, these prophets wouldn't prophesy to the folks down the street or to the nation next door. They was prophesying to the people they was prophesying to. And uh, you know when a person hears you're rotten and you're no good and you don't love Jesus and you hadn't done this and you hadn't done that, well it offends our sensibilities. It, uh, we, the Bible says every man's right in his own eyes. <laughs> and there's probably, probably 90, well I'm going to say 100% of us here tonight, we're satisfied with our Christianity, we're satisfied with our standing in Christ, yet there's things wrong with us and there's things that we need to correct, there's things that we need to get straight, there's things that we need to get in touch with God about and have Him change in our hearts and change in our lives, but we hadn't realized it because we ain't really looked real good. But these prophets will come in, listen, when we read Elijah and when we read about uh, Elisha and when we read about Isaiah, when we read about Daniel, when we read about uh, Jeremiah, what we most of the time see and when we read about Paul and when we read about Peter, most of the time all we hear is the message. We don't really see the heart of the preacher. (laughs) That preacher come into town and say, man... God's going to boil y'all down. God's going to burn y'all down. God's going to grind you to powder. And God is not going to have mercy on you. God's had mercy on you. And God has sent prophets and He's raised them up and sent them to you early. And you hadn't listened. You've turned your back. You're stiff-necked. You're hard-hearted. And boy, it sounds like rough preaching, don't it? And But that's mostly what we see and that's what we take from it. And uh, we don't see the heart of the preacher. You know, we read about we read about Jonah. He came into Nineveh and said, get 40 days and God's going to burn this city to the ground. God's going to wipe it off. But if it wasn't for God showing us the heart of the prophet, we wouldn't know he was mad as he could be. We wouldn't know that he was upset as he could be. It's only, the, it's only because God showed us that we know he went up on the hillside and, and got angry and sat there to wait to see if God would really destroy the, the, the city or not. He gave us a little glimpse into what the prophet thought. And then when I turned the page from Jeremiah to Lamentation here, I realized a thing. Here's a man that's preaching. You're going to fall. You're going to go down. Here's a man where, as he was prophesying to the nation of Israel, God said, don't even pray for these people. How's that? 
Wouldn't it be cruel? Wouldn't it be cruel if Brother Mike come to the pulpit and said, I ain't praying for y'all no more. Wouldn't you feel kind of put out? Well, the Lord told Jeremiah, he said, I'm done with these people. Don't even pray for them no more. Can you imagine praying for somebody uh, that God would help them and that God would be merciful to them and you being out of the will of God by praying that for them? Folks don't realize that their God is a consuming fire. God is love, but God is jealous God. God is love, but our God is a consuming fire. He consumes away the dross. He consumes away the unuseful things. He consumes away the unfruitful things. He consumes all those things away. And when we hear preachers preach like that, it looks like he's a mean preacher. He's a bad preacher. We don't see the the heart of the preacher. But in this situation right here, you turn the page from one of the most brutal, one of the most hard, one of the most straightforward books in the Bible, Jeremiah, and you turn over one page to the lamentation of Jeremiah, and you see a prophet that's going home every day after he prophesies, and crying, and weeping, and praying to God. He's lamenting. The, the word lamentation means an expression of sorrow. It means a cry of grief. God is going to Jeremiah and he's saying, go out here and preach. Go out here and prophesy. And he goes out there and he preaches and he goes out there and prophesies. And everybody gets mad at him and he's telling people that he loves. And people that he cares about. And people that he's... Uh, one place in the book of Lamentations said, I bounced him on my knee. <laughs> he said, I brought him up on my knees. I brought him up in my own lap. And now they're gone. And so he's going out here and he's prophesying to people that he loves and the people that he cares about and says God is going to grind you to powder and God is going to carry you away. And it looks to, looks to all the world like he's the enemy. Some of those uh, high priests and some of those princes and stuff, they got together and said, who are you for anyway? You for Babylon or you for, you for Israel? You see, he thought he was against them. They didn't see him go home every night and cry, though. They didn't see him go home every night and pray, though. A lot of times we get in our mind, if you stand up for God, you don't love folks. No, sir, you do love folks. But we're to stand for God first. Preachers, we're to stand for God first. Mamas, we're to stand for God first. Daddies, we're to stand for God first. We're to stand for we're to stand for everybody else. Sure, I love my mother. I love my father. I love my brothers. I love my wife. I love my children. But God must come first. His truth must come first. His statutes must come first. His principles must come first. He must come first. Old John said he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus Christ sitting there among His disciples said, Your mother... And your brethren are here to see you. He said, these are my mother and my brethren. Yes, sir. I mean, we've got to take God's side first. We've got to take God's side first. But that don't mean it don't break our hearts. Ain't you got family and loved ones and folks that are on the way to hell? Don't it hurt you to have to tell them, you're not going to be saved. You're not, you're not saved. You're, you're going to go to hell. Boy, if you ain't got no care in your heart for them, if you don't have no love in your heart for them, when you say the things that you say, it's going to seem cold. It's going to seem hard. It's going to seem rough. It's going to seem like you're. It's going to seem like you're the meanie of the bunch. It's going to seem like you're the the old uh, mean Scrooge or something. They'll call you a bigot, but they don't see what's going on in your heart. Listen, when you go and cry out and you. And, and you say the things that God wants you to say. You better make sure you got. Make, you better make sure that when you go home, you got some tears to back to back it up, some compassion to back it up. Boy, I preach on hell and I preach on sin. I preach on everything. But listen, I preach on hell because I don't want folks to go there. I preach on sin because I don't want it to ruin your lives. I don't want it to mess you up. 
And listen, that's the attitude we ought to have in regards to Christianity. It's not, I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. Ha ha. I've heard preachers preach on hell and it sounds like they enjoyed the fact that everybody else in the world going to hell. Y'all going to hell! Well, that's a thing to cry about, not a thing to rejoice about. Yes, sir, we ought, we ought to have a, a, some kind of feeling in our heart. Like old Jeremiah here. He had enough he could write a book about it. He did, didn't he? The book of Lamentation is a book about how he was grieved at the judgment that God put on Israel. And several other things. It's not the only subject that he lamented about, but that's, that's one of them, no doubt. Now look here, verse number 3. Judah. Judah is going into captivity because of affliction. And now you could take the, now this applies to the, uh, the nation of Israel, no doubt. The, the tribe of Judah, no doubt. But you could just put your name right there where it says Judah. Uh, it's possible, listen, it's possible that God saved you and God delivered you from a great thing. God gave you peace about some things. God saved you and redeemed your soul. But it's possible, listen, it's possible, it's very possible for you to get captive. It's very possible for you to go back into captivity. I know many a person that's got on a knee and asked the Lord to save them. And they've seen, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I've known plenty of people that's tasted and they've seen the goodness of God and the love of God and the salvation of God and the redemption of God. And I'm thinking about one fellow right now. He can't stop going back and putting that needle in his arm. I don't know what got him started doing that. I know he's, captivity. I know he's in captivity to it though. I know, I know many folks that don't read their Bible and they don't pray and they don't do the things that they ought to do as a Christian. They don't witness. They don't talk for God. They don't, they don't witness for God. They don't pray to God. They don't read about God in His Word. And they're captive to just about anything that comes along. You know what I noticed? You know what, you know what I noticed when God first began to teach, uh, uh, show me about, about how captive I was to entertainment? Uh, about the time I'd, I'd get to get under conviction about this certain thing, uh, the Lord would say, now that's, that's, that's too rough right there. That's taking too much of your time. You know what the devil would do? He would slip up and give me a show that I liked even better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, they, uh, if, it, if it wasn't a Western, I mean, I, Westerns is a wonderful thing, ain't they? <laughs> oh, uh, pull them pistols and blaze away. Are y'all going to pull them pistols or whistle Dixie? Yeah, that's, that's what, that was one of my favorite lines. That's old Clint Eastwood. Ain't that stuff fun to watch? Sure it is. If you're a man, it's a fleshly man, that's fun to watch. And about the time I decided, man, I better throw that movie away right there. I mean, if you've got the thing memorized and you ain't got Psalm 23 memorized, you've got yourself a problem. <laughs> so, I better throw that away. And then the next thing you know, that old devil, he'll put a... He'll put a documentary on the Civil War. And that's even better than Westerns. And not to mention it's a whole season's worth of it. And it's going to last seven or eight weeks. It only takes about an hour to watch Josie Wales. But don't you find it that way? Just about the time God begins to deal with your heart about a thing and show you that you need to put something away and show you that you need to put something down... The devil will come along and slip you something twice as nice and twice as consuming and uh, time consuming and uh, twice as hard to put away. And boy, you're captive. Captive. He said Judah's gone into captivity. Boy, we, we are uh, we, man, I tell you what, man is a creature of habit. I've said that to you before. I'm going to say it to you again. I'll say it to you some more times too. But listen, 
Man is a creature of habit. Almost everything you do, you do by habit. Amen. I drink Coca-Colas. I drink them out of habit. Amen. I was doing, I told my wife, I said, I am getting back in shape. There ain't no question about that. I am not going to get old. I caught myself walking the other day like this. <laughs> I think I wouldn't even have caught it, but Ruth said, What are you doing? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? She said, you're walking funny. I said, oh God. <laughs> I took the name of the Lord in vain. I shouldn't have said that, but that's what I said. And I said, oh man, I've got to get in shape. I'm going to get in shape. And so I am getting in shape. I am, I'm riding my bicycle and running and doing suicides in the parking lot. And, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But today while I was doing my sit-ups, I opened me a Coca-Cola. <laughs> Uh, and so I do about ten sit-ups and go over there and drink me some of that coke. Oh, and then I caught myself about halfway through it. What am I doing? We do things by habit. You eat by habit. You get up in the morning. You know we've been trained. You must eat uh, balanced breakfast. What if you ain't hungry? Oh, eat it anyway. You'll need it throughout the day. Well, my stomach don't agree. I mean, I'm skinny everywhere else, but man, like like I said the other week, it's like hanging a tire around the beanstalk. It's it's not comfortable, and it makes you feel old and out of shape. And you preach for half an hour, and you're out of breath. I was listening to a recording. I was making those CDs back there, and I tell you what, I was making those things, and I noticed every once in a while. I said, my goodness, if I'm out of shape that bad where i got to breathe heavy to preach, I'm in bad shape. But you get up and you eat on habit and you take naps on habit and you sit around on habit and we're lazy people. You know that? We're lazy, lazy, lazy people. God help us if we had had to go back a hundred years and cut our own firewood and and, uh, go to the creek to get water. I remember when I was a boy, my grandpa had a farm and every day you had to carry coal in for the furnace and you had to go get wood for the fire, the, the stove in the kitchen was wood stove. And you had to walk all the way to the creek and get water because the well didn't work no more. Well, well run dry. I had to walk to the creek, fill a bucket full of water and come back. Well, I didn't like going to Grandpa's house. <laughs> Mama, we got our own house, don't we? Grandpa's house is where the green bean patch was, shucking the corn and stringing green beans. I thank God for the day they invented them green beans that ain't got no strings on them. You just snap them. They probably always had them. Grandpa just probably got growed the ones with the strings on them just to make us mad, make us work. But anyway, our habit is to be lazy. Our habit is our habit is whatever comes along. You know that's you know that's how weak we are. Listen, the Bible says, uh, "Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us." It's so easy for us to get sidetracked. So easy. And especially if you're like you guys' age, about 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, you get in your Bible and go to church and have a good service and God move on your heart. And man, it won't take you two days. It won't take you two days. Get away from the church house and some boy will come along or some girl will come along. Some song will come on the radio. And, and the heart, the same heart that loved God and wanted to do right... 
so easily. But, and when he said easily beset us, folks, he wasn't just talking about young folks and teenagers. It's easy for us to be beset. It's easy for us to be led astray. You say, why? Because we're creatures of habit. It's easy to cap- It's easy to, to capture us. Yeah. Old Ryan Bartram one time was telling me how easy it was to capture a raccoon in a cage. So it's easy. Just put the cage out there and put some cat food in there. The next day you've got him. I said, oh, surely it can't be that easy. He said, you'll see. So he went out there and he set his trap one day. Next day he had one. So all you got to do is put what they like in there and you got them. Don't you know the Bible says that about folks? It says that the devil takes them captive at his will. At his will. At his will. That scares me to death. At his will. To think that any time the devil... Gets a mind to that he'd go out and lay a trap for somebody and get them. All he got to do is give you what you like. Boy, that's a reason for you to read Galatians 5.17 and to fight a good fight of faith against that flesh. Boy, you say, if I was you, if I was you, if I was you, if I would, let me put this correctly now. Sometimes my words, my mind gets ahead of my words. If I was you and I liked myself as good as some of you like yourself, I'd just go ahead and dedicate myself to being bored rather than happy because in a lot of his case, happy is going to get your neck broke. Because the devil's going to put out there something out there for you one day that you'll not recover from. There's been many a person in this world that's tried a little bit and come back to church and tried a little bit and come back to church and tried a little bit and come back to church and the next time they went out there and tried a little bit they got off, they bit off more than they could chew and they never made it back. They never made it back. I think about my little cousin. Well, he's not my little cousin. He was little when he died. But when he died, he was about 17 or 18 years old. And I was just a little... I can't imagine it. Well, me calling him little now. Looking back on it, he was 18 years old. 19 years old, something like that compared to now. He is little, but compared to then, he was my big cousin. But he was raised up in church, raised up in the same church I was, heard the same preaching I heard, uh, heard, went through the same things I did, and had the same family that I got, heard all the same things I got, had the same old grandpa I did that believed the Word, had the same preacher, had the same deacons, heard the same congregational singing, heard the same special singing. But he had these friends that wanted to keep him out of church all the time and run around with him all the time. One day they said, let's go drink a beer. Uh Uh-huh. I better not do that. Next time I said, oh, let's go drink a beer. Let's go drink a beer. And finally they got him drinking that beer. Finally, oh, then he would never come back to church again. No, sir. One day running up a little street called West Lebanon Street. I, you, none of you ever been to my... Well, a couple of you been to my hometown up there. But they got these up these streets on these oh, little row houses. They got these great big trees been growing there for years and years and years and years. And then boy heading up that street drinking that beer. Got pulled over by the police officer. So we're on our way home, and back back in those days, uh, drunk driving wasn't a big deal that it is today. Uh, of course, folks didn't have as much money as they had today. It wasn't profitable for them to write you tickets for stuff like that. But now it is, and so they it's a big deal now. <laughs> but anyway, well, I'm not going to preach on that. I ain't got time to deal with the government tonight. Police officer pulled them over. He said, oh man, we're going home right now. We'll go home. Don't... Uh, you know, don't give us no ticket and this, that, and other thing. The police officer said, go on. Go on home. 
So about an hour after that, they're riding up and down that same road. Do you remember cruising? Any, any of you folks remember cruising? <laughs> Get in your car, ride up and down the same road. And Anyway, I might be in a different generation. I don't know. I know some of y'all remember cruising, don't you? It's just shake your head or something so I, so I know I'm talking to people, actually. Well, he's running up this road and they're running about 85 miles now running into one of them big old trees. Bounced his head, come through the windshield and bounced off of that tree. Went 35 feet up on the front porch of this lady's house. Over. No more opportunity to come back. No more opportunity to get back in. You say, what happened? He got captive. He got captivated. He got taken captive. Just a little thing. Just a little. One won't hurt. One won't. One, one ain't never hurt nobody. That's a lie. That's a lie out of the pits of hell. Judah has gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. Look what it says. She dwelleth among the heathen. You ought not dwell among the heathen. You ought to find you some good Christian folks and some good Christian friends. I'm getting tongue-tied tonight. Good Christian friends, and you ought to hang around with them, and you ought to love them. Listen, you ought to love your good Christian friends that you can find. Even if they're not good Christians, you ought to love them anyway, and try to make good Christians out of them, and try to be around them, and try to help them. If they're not going to help you, you help them. If they're going to talk bad about you, you talk good about them. But I'll tell you one thing you don't need to do. You don't need to be hanging around the heathen. You need to find good Christian brothers and sisters. If they're not good ones, make them better. If they're not good ones, you be a good one. Be a good example to them. But if you can't find a good example, get one of these ladies, get one of these men. Get around somebody that's not a heathen, somebody that loves God, somebody that's trying to follow God, somebody that's trying to do the right thing, and get close to them and hang close to them. And you better stick close to them because one of these days that heathen crowd is going to be the reason you get into captivity. You can't get around, you can't get into meanness hanging around the right crowd. You just can't do it. You just can't do it. You say, what happened to old Judah here? Look back up in verse 2. I want to show you what happened to her. She weepeth sore in the night. Y'all ever shed any tears in the night? Her tears are on her cheeks. Don't sound like a happy time to me. Look what it says. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Do y'all get that? Do you get that? It's the people out there that says, Oh, I love you. It was her lovers that dealt treacherously with her. It was her friends that become her enemy. It's the people out there that says, Oh, I love you. I love you. Them old religious people, they hate you and they're close-minded bigots. It's those people out there that say, I love you. Those are the ones that's going to get you into captivity. Those are the ones that's going to get you sunk. Those are the ones that's going to get you addicted. Those are the ones that's going to get you destroyed. Those are the ones that's going to get you destroyed. It says it was her lovers. She hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her and become her enemies. I look back in my life, I see the Christian people that I've associated with 
the Christian people that I've known, I wish to God, I wish to God, Brother Josh, I wish to God, Brother Pedro, that I had gotten next to some of those Christian folks, whether they was 10 years older than me or 15 years older than me. I wish to goodness I had gotten next to them and just learned and just asked them questions and just tried to be like them. Listen, I'd rather a 10-year-old boy get next to a 40-year-old Christian man trying to be like him than to get around a bunch of 15-year-old brats that don't know what in the world they're doing and let them destroy their lives. You know, listen, I don't know exactly. Y'all keep telling me how old you girls are. I can't remember exactly how old you are. But listen, did you know if you're 15 years old, I wouldn't be hanging around around with many other 15 years old. You know, a 15-year-old don't know how to be 16. Did you know a 16-year-old does not know how to be 21? You know how I know they don't know how to be 21? Because they ain't never been 21. Young folks, little girls and little boys have never been grown up one day in their life. They can't teach you how to be older. And they can't teach you how to be cool because they ain't never been cool. Let me say something else. I wouldn't, if I was you, listen, let me, let me say it this way. I wish I'd have went to my preacher when I was 10, when I was 15, when I was 20, when I was 21. I wish I'd have went to my preacher and said, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm thinking about doing. This is what I got in mind. What do you think about that? I wish I'd have went and asked him. Because when I went and asked my friends, said I was thinking about taking a drink. He said, oh yeah, I got some in my car. You want some? When I went to him and I said, I'm thinking about chewing tobacco. They said, oh yeah, well I got some if you want to try it. I bet that ain't what my preacher... You, know you know what my problem was? I heard my preacher preach, but I couldn't see his heart. My preacher preached hard. If I'd have went to my preacher and said, I'm thinking about drinking, I thought he'd probably cut my head off. So I didn't go to him. I'm going to tell you right here tonight, you come talk to me. I ain't going to cut your head off. And that don't just go for that don't just go for teenagers either. I'm talking to you folks 70 years old. Something on your mind? Come say something. Nobody's going to cut your head off. We're here to help folks. And I'm talking about real help too. I've been hearing this stuff. I was talking to Nathan. I've been hearing these preachers talking about we need to just help people. We need to just help it. Well, good. Preach on sin then. That'll help them. Hear these preachers say, we ain't trying to hurt nobody. You mean telling them to stay away from sin? Going to hurt them? No, sir. That's going to help them. But listen, at the same time, I know I know you look at somebody that preaches hard and preaches straight and you think, well, if I go tell him I'm having this problem, he'll think I'm backslid. I already know you're backslid. That's why I'm preaching on it to begin with. Come talk to me and I'll try to help you with it. And I'll pray with you over it. I'd much rather pray, pray for you over it before you get into the mess than I would pray for it after you're in the hospital. Or after you got some kind of disease or after you hooked on some kind of dope. Come say, Brother Peter, I'd give a million dollars if I could go back and be 20 years old and go talk to my preacher. I'd give a million dollars if I could go back when I was 17 years old when I signed the paper to go in the Marines. If I'd have went back and asked my preacher and said, Preacher, what do you think? He'd have probably said, Don't do it, son. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
That's probably, but I, I don't know what he would say. I didn't ask. Didn't ask. You can't go back. You can't go back, folks. I told these young folks here a while ago, I said, 15-year-olds don't know how to be 16. 16-year-olds don't know how to be 21. Listen, there's a lot of Christians. You don't know how to be a preacher, do you? You better get to talking to a preacher then. Yes, sir. Have you ever thought that the preacher might know something or understand something? You ain't never seen what you think God called him for because he's good looking? No. Can't you tell that by looking? What did they do? Call him because he's super smart, super intelligent? No. You say, what's the alternative, Brother Mike? I'll just do it my way. Judah done it her way. Judah followed her lovers. Judah followed her companions. Judah followed her friends. She wound up in captivity. Wound up destroyed. Says she dwelleth among the heathen. Don't hang out with the heathen. Listen, if you if you're fifteen or if you or if you're fifty, if you're twenty or if you're thirty, if you're forty, don't hang out with heathen folks. Witness to them and give them the gospel and preach to them. And listen, you girls can preach. You understand that, don't you? Don't be afraid to don't be afraid to make a stand. Don't be afraid. Listen, you be submissive to your mothers and fathers. You you do exactly what they tell you to do. You be you be submissive to your grandfathers and to your mothers and stuff like that. But when it comes down to doing right, say this is right. This is wrong. This is godly. This is ungodly. Don't use that as an excuse to be blasphemous or or disrespectful or rebellious. Don't ever use God's word to be rebellious. But stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. And that goes for 30 and 35 year olds that got mom and daddies too. You honor your father and mother all the days of your life. But right is right, whether it's mamas or daddies or whatever the case may be. Brothers and sisters, you got, you got, they're in the captivity. They're in captivity. They need help. They need redemption. Judah has gone into captivity because of affliction, because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. If you dwell among the heathen, you find no rest. You find no rest. I can remember a time when I was young, uh, about tw- I guess about 23, got out of the Marines, started going back to the church, uh, and I hadn't had no rest in a long while. But listen, especially when I started going back to church and was trying to do wrong and trying to do right at the same time, boy, that is a time when you will get no rest. No rest. All you got to do is come to church and get your heart blessed and get your heart filled and get inspired about doing the right thing and then just let that heart get cold a little bit and begin to slip out in your mind. We talk, we preach that sermon about falling out of windows. You let your mind start wandering out those windows and wandering into the wrong music and wandering into the wrong entertainment and wandering into, I mean, just wondering about this world and its riches and its goods and what all it has to offer to you and you will not get no rest. Pretty soon you'll say, i got to get out of this church. This is a crazy church. This is a fanatic church. And you're going to get out in the world and you're going to find out that the only thing there is out there in the world is people that are fanatical about destroying their own lives. I'm a fanatic. Brother Nathan, I am a fanatic. God saved me and bought me by His blood 
And he took nails in his hands for me and he pulled his beard out for me and they mocked him and they scourged him for me and they hung him on an old rugged cross for me and he done that for my sins and for my transgressions and every wicked thought that I ever thought and every wrong place that I ever went to and every heathen person that I ever hung out with and every bad person that I ever hung out with and every bad thing that I ever done. God bore that stuff on His own His own cross for me. He bled and died and they buried Him and put Him in the ground and He was raised again for my justification. He done it for me. Nobody out there in the world ever done that for me. And I gave, I gave my life to the devil wholeheartedly and I went for it with all of my might and I done everything I could for the devil as hard as I could. And now that I'm saved, I'm going to do everything that I can for the Lord as hard as I can. And if you think I'm a fanatic, then you can go to the devil with it because God done something. Work my praise and work my work my time and work my dedication. Sit around and laugh. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so silly. We'll find out who's silly when you're in an emergency room and sin done wrecks your life. We'll find out what's silly. Nobody ever went to the emergency room from church. I don't think. I never heard of it. What's the prognosis, doctor? He praised the Lord too much. You ain't never heard that, have you? No, sir. I've heard them say many a time, Miss McCall, I've heard many a time they say, he done too much drugs, he done too much alcohol, he done too much fun, he done too much this, he done too much that. It's all the worldly stuff, it's all the foolish stuff. We think it can't happen to us whether we're 50 or whether we're 5. It can happen to you. It can happen to preachers' children. And I tell you what, I don't want to happen to my children. I'm not going to allow nothing in my home or just a little bit that might take my children further than that and further than that and further than that. What I've given inch might take my little girls 50 miles. If it'll pull me away from God one inch, it might destroy and kill one of my little ones. I don't want that. I don't want that in my home and don't want it in my church. Do you? No, sir. No, sir. Captive is a bad word. Captive is a dangerous word. Captivity is a dangerous place to be. You don't get to call any of the shots when you're captive. Listen, when they come along and they took those kings and they took those people in Judah and they slapped them in the irons and they led them away, those folks from Judah could not do one thing about it. Not one thing. They, could, they couldn't complain. They'd get beat. They couldn't say, I'm not going. They'd get killed. They couldn't resist. They'd be destroyed. God looked at them and said, if you run away, you make it down to Egypt. I'll send the sword there and find you. Somebody come along and take one of these little girls, take them by the wrist and lead them off into captivity, whether it be... Now, I'm not talking about just a person. I'm talking about a drug. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about a cigarette. I'm talking about a beer. It will carry them away and they will not be able to do one thing about it. I don't want to drink no more, but they'll drink. That's right. I don't want to look at this stuff no more, but they'll look at it. You say, why, Brother Mike? Because the captive can't do nothing about his captivity. You need somebody to come along and redeem you. And I've been redeemed. Thank God for His redemption. She findeth no rest. I tell you, Brother Pedro, when I found the Lord Jesus Christ, I found rest. I didn't say I got rid of all the hardships. I said I found rest. Let me tell you something. Have you ever been in a, in a period of time where you didn't have no job? 
Have you ever been in a period of time like that? You ever been in a place like that, Nathan? It's kind of hard to sleep at the end of the day. Because you ain't done nothing. You ain't wore out. Kind of got yourself a little break. But I'll tell you what, after a long day's work, if you got peace about what you've done, it's easy to sleep all night. I mean, you can labor out there for that world and you ain't going to get no peace about that. I can tell you that. Go out and have all the fun you want to have and you'll go to bed with a bad conscience. But you go out there and labor and toil and go through persecution and go through trials and have them call you bigot and have have them call you everything under the sun. Lay your head down on your pillow at night and there'll be peace, peace. Like Like the verse in the Bible says, peace like a river. You ever had peace like a river? You ever been down to the creek side and just watched it flow? I, I went down there when I was a boy. I used to go down by the riverside and I'd fish in that river and they wouldn't one fish in there. I never caught one fish out of there. Maybe I didn't know how to fish. I don't know. But as far as I know, there ain't never been a fish in that creek. But I'd go down on my fishing rod and without fail, I'd end up like this. Pull off my shirt. Wasn't nobody around, of course, but jump in there, take a little swim, come back up on the creek bank, lay out in the sun on the big rock, and you say, "What is that? Peace like a river? Peace like you can't get that among the heathen, though. You can get it from dope. Dope puts you to sleep. Wake up. The Bible says when you wake up from that, you'll say, "They've beat me. They've beat me." She findeth no rest. All her persecutors, listen, all her persecutors overtook her between the straits. I guess I better get on with the message now, huh? All of her persecutors overtook her between the straits. You know what that means? Let me give you an example of what that means. When I was, when I was younger, I had a four-wheel drive truck, and the four-wheel drive didn't work in it, but the, the, the low gear in the rear end was good enough it could still go around. And I could get up through the mountains and stuff. And we had, a, we had this little trail that we went four-wheeling on up the side of the mountain over in a place called Low Gap. And you'd go up the side of Low Gap Mountain like this and it would turn off and go along the side of the mountain. And you'd be running parallel, parallel with the ridge up above you. And you'd find some places you'd go out there and it'd be a real wide spot there and it wouldn't be no problem. But every once in a while you'd run across a ledge and that thing would come in, that trail would come down and your left tires would be partially on the on the embankment going up, you could look out your window and you could look straight up the side of the mountain. And God forbid you be in the passenger seat. Because on the passenger seat, you look out your door and you're looking straight down the mountain. Thousands of feet. You say, what is that? That's a straight. That's a narrow place. You know, when I was driving along those places that was wide open and spread out, I had a care in the world. Ain't this fun? Ain't we having a time? When you get to those straights, you better pay attention. You ever been in a straight place in your life? I looked up straights today. Straits of Gibraltar. There's all kinds of straits. There's the Strait of Magellan at the bottom of South America. Those are places where ships sail through. And when you're sailing through those things, you've got to be careful. Because the currents are bad and the winds are rough. And you'll wreck a ship in a hurry when you're going through the straits. And you know what you're going to do in your lifetime? You're going to go through some straits. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to go through some rough times. And if you ain't careful, you will wreck yourself. 
The Bible says in Psalm 119, 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted. When he was afflicted, that means you know what it means, don't you? It means when he got afflicted, he got right with God. When he got when he got afflicted, he started doing what God wanted him to do. He was careful when he was afflicted. And that's what you and I are like, Brother Josh. Yes, sir, if things are rough, if things ain't going our way, we'll get right next to God. Oh, God, help me and take care of me. Pay my bills and do this for me. Heal my sickness. That's when we're in the straits. But when the ground begins to widen out and it's not quite as dangerous, we begin to walk our own way. It's, not, it's nothing pressing. It's nothing going to hurt me right now. There's nothing going to kill me right now. So the Bible says that her persecutors caught her between the straits. Caught her in the wide place. Caught her when she wasn't paying attention. Caught her when there wasn't nothing bothering her. Caught her when there wasn't nothing going wrong. Caught her when there wasn't nothing to distract her. Caught her when, when there wasn't nothing to make her pay attention to where she was in a relationship with her God. And her persecutors was able to take her into captivity. You know, the devil going to be able to come along, Brother Mike, he'll be able to get you when you ain't worried about nothing. After God's delivered you and after God's made everything good for you, after everything you got peace and you're not worried about nothing, then the devil will sit and say, just take a little bit of this. Next thing you know, you've been led away captive. You say, what's the moral of that story, Brother Mike? Stay always on your knees. When it's in the good times, call on His name. When it's in the bad times, call on His name. Listen, if you'll call on His name while you're between the straits, the straits won't be so bad. There's one thing, listen, I looked up four or five different straits where, where, the, where the ships navigate in this big world we live in. And you know what I found out about every one of those straits? Before you get to those straits, there's somebody that you can call and they'll tell you what the weather's like, if the tide is right, if the current is right, if the temperature is right, if the clouds is right, and if it's right, you can sail on through, and if it ain't right, you can just drop anchor and wait right there a little bit. In every strait in your life, in every hard spot in your life, in every place in your life, God gives you those wide spots between the straits so you can call on Him and so you can cry out to Him and so you can pray to Him and He'll say, up ahead, there's another strait and the winds are going to blow contrary and it's going to be a rough spot and it's going to be hard for you to get through it. So prepare now and wait now and have patience now and when you get to those hard parts, you'll be fine. You'll be just fine. But we spend the good times playing. Nonchalant. Non-caring. We don't care about what's down the road. All we care about is right now. Got to have fun right now. Going to take my opportunities right now. Going to do what I want to do right now. But there's, there's somebody out there. There's persecutors out there ready to take you captive. Ready to take you captive. Brother Pedro, anytime you want to, you get down on your knees and say, God... You've blessed me now. I'm in a wide spot here now. There's nothing pressing me here right now, but God help me prepare for the straits ahead. You can call any time. I noticed on one of those things for the straits, there's a strait in Turkey that connects the Aegean Sea to the Black Sea. And that thing said, call 24 hours. <laughs> that made me happy. Call 24 hours. And they said, for best service, call 24 hours in advance. You can call Him anytime. 
I can tell you this right now. All those prophets that God sent to those people and said, get right, get right, do right. When they didn't get right, God said, send that prophet and say, you're going down. But you know what I know about my God? My God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure at all. No pleasure at all. God's good will and God's good purpose would have been to rescue every one of those folks in Jew. You know what God told that Jeremiah? He said, don't pray for them. I'm done with them. And right before they went into captivity, you know what God told Jeremiah to do? He said, go tell them one more time. He said, it might be that they'll hear my voice and repent from their evil ways and I'll heal them. It might be, it might be, Josh, that there's somebody here tonight just got cold. It might be if you just hear his voice one more time, he'll heal you. It might be that you're heading for some strength that you won't survive. It might be that there's some roads up there ahead of you you won't be able to handle. But you could call on him today and he'd, he'd smooth it out. He'd help you right now. Heavenly Father, Oh, I thank you, dear God, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, dear God. That you do give us wide spots, dear God. Your blessings and your mercies are new every morning, dear God. But it's not just it's not just for our benefit. It's not just for our ease of mind. Sometimes your mercies and your goodness, dear God. Sometimes those things, dear God, are just so we'll have time to prepare for the next storm and the next battle that we got to go through. God, help us tonight, dear God, to see the, the desperate situation that we're in, the desperate times that we live in. God, you said these last days would be perilous times. And God, I beg you to help us to see what a terrible time and what a perilous time that we live in today. God, help us is my plea. God, help us is my prayer. God, do a work in our hearts that I cannot do. I can preach, dear God. I can preach, but I cannot show them my heart. I cannot show them the end of the way. God, you have to do that for us. You have to do that for us, oh God. Help us, dear God, and lead us. God, there's families represented right here where they've got family members, dear God, that are already captive. They've already been captive. Dear God, I beg you for their freedom. I beg you for the redemption. I beg you, dear God, that you'd set them free, oh God. Help them is my plea. Help them, dear God, is my prayer. God, I pray if there's one person in this building, dear God, they're contemplating going astray. They're contemplating putting their own self in captivity. Help them, dear God, to use this office, this pastor's office, dear God, for what it was intended for, God. Help them to come to me. Help them, dear God, to pour out their heart, dear God, to let me know what they're going through, God, so I can help them and advise them and lead them, dear God, as a pastor ought to. God, help me. Help me to be prepared when they come. And I'll thank you, dear God, for what you do. I'll thank you for what you do. There's some folks on the altar already.